Father in heaven, thank you so much for that scripture reading, how the weak were made strong. Guide us to see that in our lives today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So our last installment of our journey into Ephesians, I've entitled it Victorious because that's where really I believe the book ends with Paul believing that no matter what chains bound him, no matter what circumstances seem to prevail against him, he was actually victorious. And I think we can all agree with that in our lives. No matter what we face, no matter what the trials that we may come up against, we can be victorious even when it appears that we are being defeated. Years ago in 480 B.C., city after city fell as Xerxes took his army from Persia all the way up, and you can see on the map here, across the northern part of the Aegean Sea. And his goal was to come down to Athens and Sparta to knock out two main strongholds before he felt like he would conquer the world. And as he made that journey, we find Athens and Thermopylae, along with Sparta, were the places that he had to eventually go through. Thermopylae becomes important because it was the gateway to Athens. And if Thermopylae fell, then Xerxes would have a clear shot to Athens and Sparta. And so in response to that, we find the Greeks and the Spartans united together. The Spartans were a warrior breed. In other words, from the age of seven, they were trained as warriors. Every man, every boy was trained from the age of seven in the art of warfare. And that is what they knew. They didn't have a huge education. They didn't have necessarily a lot of culture to spread around the world, but they had warfare. And it's renowned that one of those Spartan warriors could hold off several other soldiers at one time with their spear and shield. And so Thermopylae, this this kind of this, val- this valley that, was in, that would go into a, a hill area. There was a gateway, literally, of rock. Rock on one side, rock on the other side. These Spartans, along with about 7,000 Greeks, were facing an oncoming army of 250,000. Now, I mean, we, we don't even, can't even begin to imagine what that would look like as you were sitting there in that valley, that canyon area, looking at this huge throng coming towards you, wave after wave after wave. They actually built a little wall, just knee-high to protect them a little bit, in front of them, and they gathered there with the Spartans in front and then the Greeks in phalanx formation behind them, spears up in the air to block anything that would come, and they would have spears straight forward, and they had this huge wall of warriors that would just shove forward. Anybody that came towards them, they were ten deep, and they would just have these compatriots behind them shoving on them with their shields and pushing their which in essence shoved their spear forward into the oncoming person. It was a gruesome battle. And after one and a half days, it ended up being 300 of the Spartans because the Spartans saw the oncoming army just continuing to come and they sent the Greeks home. They said, you guys go home and we'll take care of this. One and a half days of Spartans, 300 of them, just in battle formation going after these opponents killed 10,000 of the oncoming army. And what ended up happening was Xerxes got so tired of it that he put in his elite and they kept falling. And then after they kept falling, he said, pull out. And he did something that is a shame in ancient warfare. He told the archers, blacken the sky with arrows. And they began to shoot arrows and they took down all 300 of those Spartans. And the Spartans were killed with their worst enemy, the arrow. And what that ended up doing was Xerxes marched through that mountain pass area, got over to Athens, and found nobody was there. 
all the soldiers and citizens had fled. He really did not have victory over Athens, but he claimed it. And what happened was it broke the morale of his men that just 300 individuals and a few thousand at first before that would stand for an ideal, and that was freedom. You will not crush us. You will not conquer us. We will stand for freedom. And what happened was an apparent defeat would turn out to be victory for the Greeks. I'll tell you more about that later on. But as I think of that battle, and I think of those few standing for that ideal, I think of us. What ideals do we stand for? That it seems like not very many others are standing with us. You know, this Bible is full of them. Beautiful teachings. And as I think of Paul years later, two empires later, not facing necessarily the Persians or the Greeks, but here is a Roman guard right there in front of him. And as he's looking at this Roman guard clad in armor, he thinks of the armor of God. And as he looks at this Roman guard who appears to be victorious over him, all he has to do is look back to stories in the Old Testament, to stories of God's deliverance in his life up to that point, and say, it may look like you are victorious over me, but I am actually victorious in this suffering. And so as I look at Paul, apparently weak, apparently in their minds losing, he is fighting for an ideal, and that is Jesus Christ lifted up. And he ends up becoming victorious. And that's where we go to Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, he says, be strong in the Lord. And imagine that. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. God has dominion. He has strength available. He's willing to pour it out into our world there. And he's saying to his readers, it may not look like much. I may not look like I'm victorious right now, but you be strong in the Lord because he has ultimately power and strength for you. I may die, but you have a leader who will never die. You can be strong in him. In that battle with, the, with Persia back there with the Spartans, the king Leonidas, he actually dies in the battle. And those people, those Spartans gathered around him. They fought so forcefully, they called them demon fighters. I mean, fighting for a leader who's fallen. We have a leader who is never fallen, who has never lost. And he's saying, I will give you strength. Will you be strong in the Lord and fight for me? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. These fiery darts, even that would shade the night, shade the noonday sun. Somebody told that group of 300 Spartans that the Persians will come with so many arrows that it will shade the noonday sun. And the Spartan king said, then we will fight in the shade. The devil will come at us with so many arrows that it will seem like he is darkening the sun. And we will turn it for God's glory to the point where it will seem like they're destroying, but really we'll just say, it's just giving me shade in the noonday sun. Paul really believes that this evil that had come upon him, this preaching of the gospel that he was being persecuted for, was turning out for something good. And so what strength does God have in mind in Paul's story? All right, young people, here's your answer for your FBI sheet. Imagine being strong in the Lord. Imagine Paul sitting there in that cell, and as a good young boy being brought up in the Jewish society, he would have memorized books of the Bible. Memorized them. We have a hard time with just a few memory verses. Books of the Bible. 
Imagine memorizing books of the Bible, and then as you're going out with the sheep and you're going out with different, uh, different agrarian things in society, imagine your father and your mother eventually instructing you on the ways of God, and you're hearing these stories, and now you're in prison, and not only can that scripture come back to mind, but all those stories. What stories would come to mind if you were in prison, look like you were getting defeated, and yet you wanted to actually be victorious in the Lord? I don't know what would come to your mind, but I'm going to use my sanctified imagination and, and just say, well, maybe some stories like in the book of Hebrews would come to mind. Abraham, Isaac, you go on down, Joshua, all the way down this Hebrews 11 chapter of the faithful. Imagine all of those stories coming to mind. I believe Paul probably wrote Hebrews anyway. His Greek is very much like the Ephesian Greek, uh, the book of Ephesians. And so as we look at the book of Hebrews, I can imagine some of these stories coming to mind where it looks like defeat is imminent, but victory is on the rise. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. It says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon. Now, how many soldiers did he have? Long long before the 300 of Sparta. I mean, you have this Gideon who has his small band, right? Who looked like they would be defeated by the army that had the numbers, the sands of the seashore. Gideon. Barak, who was kind of a spineless one at one eventual point, and Deborah had to rebuke him and, and tell him to get on out there to battle. And Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets. Imagine each one of these individuals there. There, Samson, who appears to be, eyes literally put out of him, appears to be defeated, and yet he says, Lord, give me strength one more time. And he pulls down the pillars on the enemies. You find David, who, who looks like he's going to be caught by Saul, and yet he becomes victorious over that, becomes king over Israel, takes the city of Jerusalem, and then God uses that city to protect him from the Philistines, and he begins giant after giant in the valley of Rephaim to take out the giants and the ones who stand before him. Apparent defeat, apparent humble person now exalted in defeating the enemy. You go on down here, and Barak himself launches into battle at Deborah's encouragement. That's an example, one of those times where if the man isn't going to stand up, the woman needs to. That's what happened there. She stood up and told, pretty much told him to get on out to battle. And what happens in battle? He is victorious. God literally fights from heaven. You read, the stars fought the armies of, that were against Israel. And so God uses even that situation there. And we go on down to Samuel. So many stories of Samuel where, where there you have the, the in, incoming Philistine army, and he's sitting there having a worship service at the top of Ebenezer, sacrificing a lamb, praying to God, and they're saying, don't quit praying. And what happens? God fights for them. Story after story. If I was sitting in that jail cell there, and I was looking like I was being defeated, and I'm writing my Ephesian brothers and sisters, I would say, be strong in the Lord. There's so many stories we could point to in the Bible of apparent defeat that turned out to be victorious. And not only that, you find through faith they subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Can you imagine with your bare hands taking a lion that's upon you, pray, and ripping its mouth apart? I mean, Samson did that. And, of course, the honey came out of that dead lion. Quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong. Out of apparent defeat or apparent weakness, they were made strong. Became valiant in battle. Turned to flight. Became valiant in battle. Can you imagine before a battle, in your small numbers, 
or your feelings of insufficiency, and then you get right into it, and the Lord's like, move on forward, brother. <laughs> move on forward, army. I mean, you, you can imagine the encouragement of the Lord as you were, became valiant in the battle. Maybe you weren't before, and maybe you didn't feel so good afterwards after swinging that sword, but you became valiant through the Lord's power. Turn to flight the armies of the aliens, and it continues on from there. Stories of encouragement. Places where the weak were made strong. And so if I was Paul, I would remember some of those stories. Where here I am locked up, and yet I am strong. Look at these stories, the Lord could tell me when I was locked up. I will make you strong. And look at those as well. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel. We'll come back to them. But I believe as we read just that little section of Hebrews, and maybe I'll venture to say if I went back and studied, I would see Jesus in each one of these other stories in Hebrews 11 too. But I saw Jesus as I read this. In fact, like the Lord was saying, Murray, you must ever remember to trust and look to me. Even if you found yourself like Paul, stuck in a place like that, remember that I am with you right there. And not only that, it's like he was telling me, especially last night as I was going through this in my mind again, I will lead you and give you victory. I will lead you and give you victory. Even if there's apparent defeat, you can be victorious. The weak may have just dealt you a big blow, physically, spiritually, or emotionally. But God could turn that into victory. The things that lie ahead of us in our society may seem to apparently defeat the church, but God will turn it and it will make victory out of that apparent defeat. It could be that there's something in a relationship. It could be that could be there's problems in a marriage. It could be there's financial situations that we don't know about or maybe we do know about now. God can take those things and flip them. And what Satan wanted to be for our disservice, God would use it for his service. Victory can come out of that. And each one of those, po- those stories there points to a greater victory. And I'm thinking of the cross. I'm thinking that, yes, Paul could have thought of all these other stories in the Bible. He could have thought of stand firm in the Lord. And he could have thought of valiant victories in the past. But what more could he think of than this? The cross. Gideon, with his band of 300, we find Jesus faces the hordes of evil himself. Now, we know the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were united in that, but at that point, he felt totally alone facing the hordes that were coming against him spiritually. And was he victorious? He appeared to be defeated, but he, became, he was victorious. We find Barak, this timid leader, you find just the opposite in Jesus. He is brave to the battle up until we get to Gethsemane, and he feel, feels insufficient. He feels a separation occurring. He has to say, not my will, but yours be done. I mean, their wills had never been separated to that point. Something, our sin, had come between him and the Father. And now he had to trust, when he felt weak, that God would give him victory. And he sends an angel to give him the victory. Look at Samson. He pulls down Satan's uh, strength, in essence, crushing the Philistines in the Old Testament. But what does Jesus do? Outstretched arms on the cross, in essence, pulling down the strongholds with outstretched arms. And then you go on down to Jephthah. We find Jephthah, there he is, making this this vow to the Lord. Whatever comes out of my house, which you know back then they typically had animals that would come out of their house. First thing in the morning, you would, maybe you don't like the idea, but animals lived in the homes and that would heat the home and other things as well, but that was a way of keeping them safe, especially in some of the urban areas. So you would literally let that animal out in the morning. So he expected his little girl to let, or whoever to let the animal out, and instead his little girl comes out. 
Now, some argue because he's here in this chapter, then more than likely that wasn't what we think happened to his little girl. Um, We're not sure, but he is in this chapter. And it points to a greater sacrifice than sacrificing your own child. It's the Father sacrificing the Son on the cross. Jesus is the sacrifice. David, you find Jesus is the Davidic King dying upon this cross. Them even putting an inscription above His head, King of the Jews, but they're not willing to accept Him. And Samuel, the prophet is Jesus, whom all the prophets pointed to. And so this cross stands Apparent defeat. Maybe Satan would laugh at it for some time, but you know what? He wouldn't be laughing long because we find on the third day he was risen. On the third day he had come up, and now the cross stands as a monument of mercy and a monument of prophecy where the whole Bible pointed forward to it, and from it we find we can view heaven from it. This is a beautiful victory in Jesus. And so the mission of our church would be to reveal that mystery. We accept that that was part of the plan. We accept that when we look to Jesus, we're created for good works. We saw that as a result of being recreated in Jesus, we want to become a part of a group of believers. And then as a group of believers, we begin to show the wisdom of God to all, including the powers of evil. How do we maintain that? We have love, Jesus in our church, in our hearts, which brings peace. And that peace is maintained, we found in Ephesians 4, by following Jesus, by looking to Him as our leader as we go over to chapter 5. And now, Paul says, stand firm. If you've got that amount of faith, you're going to need to stand firm because you're going to have an onslaught from the forces of evil. And so that's why Paul tells them, put on the whole armor of God. That's why he says, having done all, stand. Stand with truth. Stand with righteousness. Stand with the gospel of peace. Stand there with the shield of faith. Stand for Jesus Christ. It may appear that the sky is blotted out with his arrows of Satan, but God will provide the victory. This is an interesting quotation. We had it up before. I'm going to use it to summarize. Battles are to be fought how often? Every day, even today. The devil really especially likes bringing battles on Sabbath because our guards are off. We're here worshiping the Lord. We want to have a peaceful day. And guess what? He's in the business of bringing a battle upon us even today. He has no, no real knowledge of shame. He just doesn't care, as long as he has it. And so, warfare over every soul between the prince of darkness and the prince of life, there's a great battle to be fought, but you are not to do the main fighting here. Here and now, you're not doing it. As God's agent, you are to yield yourselves to him, that he may plan and direct and fight the battle for you. Imagine that. I mean, he's just not going to sit back like the king of Persia did and watch his soldiers go in there and get slaughtered. He's going to go right in the front and face whatever is happening. He'll fight for you with your cooperation. That's key. We have to invite him to fight for us. The prince of life is at the head of his work. He is to be with you in your daily battle with self that you may be true to principle. That passion when warring for the mastery may be subdued by the grace of Christ. Even the things and passions of our lives and of our past can be subdued by the grace of Christ. That's why I saw in those stories the cross. I was like, Lord, those stories have got to point me to Jesus Christ, Gideon and Barak and the rest of them. The grace of Christ, that you may come off more than conqueror through Him that loved us. So my part, I'm going to focus on Him. It says, Jesus has been over the ground. He knows the power of every temptation. He knows just how to meet every emergency, how to guide you through every path of danger. Is there 
anything that's not included in that, you can put whatever has faced you this week into that every path of danger and it's included. He who has given His precious life because He loved you, wanted you to be happy, will be a captain who will always be mindful of your interest. And so I believe, no matter what I face in my life, even if there's apparent defeat, that He will give me the victory. And so how can I have that? Well, as I focus on my leader, I can have victory over generational sins, over cultivated tendencies, over temptations of strife and disunity, over whatever the devil throws at me. And that ends up being something amazing. The world, person by person, who chooses to follow Jesus and trust Him, the world actually, in a way, experiences a little bit of peace through us. Can you imagine if, if each one of us had that peace and the world, like, wow, what do you have? And now you influence them for Christ and you influence another person and they accept Christ. And now one person at a time in this war that's going on, spiritually speaking, that person now has peace. It's something we have that the world just doesn't know how to access. Let's point them to Christ and tell them that the world can be at peace in Jesus. It won't be through our evolutionary cycles or our mastering to try to make evolution work in this world. It won't be for the Reichs or whatever people are developing right now. It won't be for anything but Jesus, that they will have peace and we will have peace. And so we focus on Him and that He is victorious, that He overcame death and apparent defeat. And so imagine there's Paul sitting in that cell, thinking of Jesus, and then thinking to himself, I'm going to plant Jesus' banner right here in this jail cell. I'm going to write a letter to those Ephesians, and I'm going to influence this guard over here for Jesus. Isn't that what would happen if he was trusting the Lord and having victory in that cell? This interesting quotation, faith is the living power that presses through every barrier, overrides all obstacles, plants its banner in the heart of the enemy's camp. I mean, right there, you're in the heart of the enemy's camp, captive, and yet you plant the banner. And from the inside out, that camp begins to fall. Isn't that a beautiful definition of faith? Even if your leader never came to you in that cell physically and released you, you could still plant his banner there and be victorious. That's encouraging to me. And so Paul stayed focused. I imagine him thinking not just of, of the jail cell and the guard and all of that. I imagine him thinking like he, when he wrote to the church of Thessalonica, he encouraged him to look forward to this beautiful day when all would be victorious. And so the cross stands there as apparent defeat turned to victory. We find Paul sits there and has peace and love with Jesus Christ. He's encouraged. He was victorious, even though it appeared that he was being defeated. And so we go back to that opening story. That opening story, what ended up happening was Xerxes was so astonished that men would fight for an ideal that he went back defeated in his heart and mind. And his men's morale, after losing 10,000 of their, over 10,000 of their friends and fellow soldiers, their morale was down. He did go on to take over Athens, but later that year, Greece would defeat them and ultimately turn the tide of the war that developed into the Greek Empire and eventually the Roman Empire through naval battles, of all things. And so that, even that apparent defeat led to victory because the ones who were being beaten down did not choose to give up. 
They continue to fight for that ideal. And I believe here we are. There Jesus was. Apparent defeat, crucified, and yet it turned out to be a victory because he was risen. And then, not only that, there Paul was, feeling like he was defeated, but he kept marching on because he believed that Jesus was coming soon. He believed that he was fighting for a risen king who would actually come and conquer this world. And the king would be victorious because he had never lost a battle. So I believe I will be victorious and you will be victorious as we keep looking forward, keeping our eyes upon Him. Let's uh, think about this, especially as we will prepare for our closing song here. Let us realize that no matter what we face, Christ can turn it out for His glory and a victory for Him. Father in Heaven, thank You that You can take an apparent defeat and turn it into victory. Do that in our lives today. Help us to trust You. And may we sing that triumph song, glory, praise, and honor to Christ our King. In His name we pray. Amen.